We know you have lots of questions. If you think that you've developed symptoms. Should I avoid large public gatherings? Whether schools should be closed. Welcome to Common Sense. Here we address your questions about COVID-19 with interviews featuring experts in medicine and leaders in community, public, and global health. Your host is Dr. Ted O'Connell, family physician, educator, and author of many well-known medical textbooks. He also founded the nation's first fellowship to formally combine community medicine and global health. Today, we have a very special guest who I'll introduce in just a moment. And we're going to be talking about the COVID-19 virus, the novel coronavirus that's causing so much uh, disarray in our world. This is a very rapidly evolving public health issue and and topic. So I want to acknowledge that anything we're going to talk about today may certainly change over the coming days, weeks, and months. The COVID-19 virus is affecting people worldwide and is now impacting our local communities here in the United States. This is leading to unprecedented cancellations in sporting events, travel, group gatherings, and education. For medical students, schools are moving online or closing down entirely, and clerkships are being canceled at some schools, so we think it's a really timely topic for discussion. My guest today is Dr. Raj Dasgupta. He completed his internal medicine residency at Michigan State University, Pulmonary and Critical Care Fellowship at Columbia University, St. Luke's, and Roosevelt Hospital, and a Sleep Medicine Fellowship at Henry Ford Hospital. Dr. Raj, as he is known, is quadruple board certified in internal medicine, pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. He practices medicine at Keck Medicine of USC's Division of Pulmonary, Critical Care, and Sleep Medicine. He's been featured on multiple media outlets and television shows such as The Doctors and Larry King Now. Dr. Raj travels regularly to teach board review courses for USMLE Steps 1, 2, and 3, as well as the Internal Medicine Board Certification Exam. His stated life mission is to educate patients, students, and aspiring doctors for better patient care. To that end, he has published a series of books titled Medicine Morning Report, Beyond the Pearls, and is an editor-in-chief of Elsevier's Clinical Key Student Global Medicine Education Platform. Finally, Dr. Raj has received numerous teaching awards, which is a real testament to his dedication to both patients and the next generation of physicians. So welcome to the podcast, Raj. Hey, thank you very much, Ted. I'm super honored to be here and to be sharing something together because we both share the same passion when it comes to teaching and educating and definitely, you know, med students, residents, the public need education about COVID-19. So let's jump into some questions about what's sure. going on in the world today with COVID-19. Um, and I'm going to start just kind of really with the basics. So with COVID-19, what would you say are some of the, the important symptoms to recognize in, in a patient who presents to the office or to the emergency department? You know, at least in my opinion, I can't tell you who has coronavirus and who has the flu. And, you know, when we talk about the symptoms, you know, beyond my 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 clinical experience, you know, in the last couple of weeks, you know, a lot came from an article where they were actually, you know, describing the symptoms of the individuals who are in China where it first broke out. And they actually kind of said what percent of the symptoms they were having. So common symptoms that you would think about would be fevers. And when we talk about these fevers, they're going to be fevers of 103, 104, and they could happen out of nowhere, just like the flu, just like a boom, Mack truck just hit you. 
And, you know, prior to these fevers happening, some of these patients could be 100% asymptomatic. And I can't say that enough is that because people could be asymptomatic, that's what's causing, you know, some of this panic because you never know who has it. On top of that, you're going to get lower respiratory tract symptoms. So you could have shortness of breath. You could definitely have the cough. But when they were kind of looking at the symptoms from an upper respiratory tract, you know what I mean? The kind of, oh, I have a sore throat. I have a runny nose, some rhinitis. They didn't really see much of that. So just like, you know, when we always talk to our patients, Ted, and say, did it sound like you got hit by a Mack truck and that's influenza? That's kind of like coronavirus too. But every time I want to give my opinion or my statement about coronavirus, I always got to watch what I say because things are changing all the time. It's impossible to have an interview anywhere without having your laptop open because something new will just pop up. So right before I knew I was coming on here to talk to you, they were focusing on the GI symptoms. So that was kind of interesting. So it's not a very common symptom, but some people stated that they had some loose bowel movements some diarrhea prior to getting coronavirus. So now the thought process is, you know, when it comes to transmission, of course, we are all like, hey, it's all about respiratory droplets. Now the hot topic is, could it be exchanged fecal oral? And I just hate saying the word fecal oral because that's gross to begin with. But, you know, maybe there's more ways of transmission than we think. So this kind of goes back to, since it's a big mimicker when we talk about other viruses, specifically influenza, the answer is we need the testing if you really want to know who is who and what's what. And this comes back to, and I, I don't know why I'm on this little ranting spiel right now, where I always, I, you know, I told some patients and some other interviews I did that I'm sure there's people out there that actually regret not getting the influenza vaccine, because right now, if you present to me while testing is so scarce and say I have these symptoms, if I knew or know you had the influenza vaccine, chances are that you may have more of a risk for coronavirus. So that's my little spiel about the the, the symptoms and how they're very similar to influenza. <laughs> so related to the influenza yeah. vaccine, like me, are you currently mm-hmm. advising people who have not gotten their flu vaccine to go ahead and try to get it? When we talk about the influenza vaccine, I think you, Ted, and me, we all have those patients that just swear something horrible happened from the influenza vaccine. I have an egg allergy. I don't want Guillain brain. I don't wish those pe- those things to anyone. But there are people who just don't believe in it. And I'm sure me and you have heard this all the time. The last time I got the flu vaccine, it gave me the flu, you know, and that and I think a lot of people are regretting those statements now. And what the scary part is, is that when we talk about getting the flu vaccine now, I agree because that's one less thing to worry about. Because if someone doesn't like you out there, in theory, is it possible you can get the coronavirus, COVID-19, and get influenza? The answer is yeah. I mean, there haven't been a lot of cases of that. We're not going to make it up, but it's possible. So what you need to do is take those risk factors away, things that you could control. You're not going to control the whole society, you know, using Perel to wipe their hands and everything, but you could control yourself getting the influenza vaccine. If you're having fevers, if you're not feeling well, well, that's not the time for you. But I definitely 100% agree about that. Okay, yeah, great. And while we're on that topic, I I guess the same would hold true for pneumococcal vaccines and and really just trying to protect our patients from anything else that could constitute a hit to their system, right? Oh, yeah. And you know what? And people ask, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this even more, like, well, how do I die from coronavirus? You know, it's just like any other virus that we know that, once again, let me refer to influenza, which we have much more data on. 
very few people will die from the influenza virus. It's that superimposed bacterial pneumonia. And that's what we've seen so far looking at the data of people who unfortunately passed away or very ill or in the ICU. So when we talk about I always love the word common things are common. You know, if you're going to catch pneumonia in the, the community, that's where I'm assuming it's not going to be pseudomonas. It's not going to be Klebsiella. It's going to be strep pneumo number one, two, three, four, five. So I love how you already threw the bone out there to say, hey, if it's indicated, you should get your pneumococcal vaccine. Problem is, I think it got a little confusing with pneumococcal. And I'm, I'm sure you could like being family practice, you could, you know, kind of get my back on this. Now that we have the 23 and the 13, one's called the Prevnar, one's the Pneumovax, people are getting confused kind of what to do, you know? And the big thing is, is that, you know, if let's say you have no respiratory illnesses or comorbidities to begin with, you know, usually you're going to get the uh, Pneumovax around 60 years of age, Pneumovax, which is a 23 valent, and you repeat it in five years, and that'll be around 65. We have the 13 called the Prevnar, and I hate using brand names, it's very un-university of me, but you know, in the Prevnar, you know, it actually covers more of the serious, deadly serotypes out there. And people don't realize, hey, it's not, it's no problem if you've already got the 23 to get the 13. If you already got one of the 23, you could go ahead and get the 13 next. It's not a big deal. So, but if you have comorbidities, meaning that you have any respiratory illnesses, you should get them right away. That includes asthma, COPD, bronchiectasis, people with interstitial lung diseases, kind of rattling off a lot of these, you know, pulmonary things, uh, things I think about. But you're right, Ted, if you want to protect yourself, you know, the, the influenza virus vaccine yearly and definitely uh, the pneumococcals, that's things that you could control. And I would love to hear kind of what the critical care community is saying about this, how you're preparing, even the potential for what happened in Italy with, huh. you know, with hospital systems getting overwhelmed. So what's going on in your intensive care units and, and your ICU community? Yeah, no, it's very scary. And the answer is, it's not just scary because of COVID-19 coming in. You know, every time you suspect a case, every time you want to, quote, rule it out, Someone else can't get that ICU bed, you know, and in a non-mean way, you know, we definitely have COPD exacerbation. We have people with interstitial lung diseases. We have a cystic fibrosis, you know, center of excellence here at USC. And, you know, those rooms, those ICU rooms will be taken up. So people can't only think about the COVID patients themselves, but who's not getting that bed? And, you know, it's going to come to the point where we may have to start sharing I know it kind of sends chills up my spine sharing these ICU rooms. And then it becomes, you know, not being selfish and only thinking about myself and my, my team. But what about the nurses out there? You know, it's all about nursing staff being comfortable, nursing staff getting good training. And it's so easy for me, you know what I mean, to say, hey, let's execute this protocol right here. But a lot of the protocols entail my respiratory therapist to go in the room with appropriate gowning with active ventilation systems attached to their suits to do these things. And, you know, a lot of us weren't ready, prepared, or even thought this was going to happen. No, and, and, you know, and sometimes when we have certain patients that come here, it looks like that movie Outbreak from the olden days. Uh, it is really scary. Yes, we're, we're living through really interesting times. Yeah. Um, are you guys seeing already cases of COVID-19 at your medical center? It, like in, in the, on the wards, in the ICUs? And, and I don't know if this is something you can talk about or not. 
No, and it's actually a really, really public knowledge. You know what I mean? I think at this point there can't be any secrets, you know, about different hospitals. And I think the, our CDC representatives are doing such a good job. And you know how it is on your phone. Your hospital sends you updates every second. It's just, it's my, my phone is literally blowing up with emails. Science, science, science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. But the answer is, we have not had a confirmed case of COVID-19 at USC Keck Medical Center. There's been rumors that there may have been one at County, but I can't confirm that at this point right now. Uh, definitely my neighboring hospitals around Southern California have had cases. And, you know, I always tell people, this, my big thing is I don't want individuals to panic. You know, if you could tell me what, if I could tell everyone what I'm all about, it's about being prepared. I'm all about that, but not being panicked. And I think that it's really easy that every time, once again, you turn on the news and it starts off with this word alert and you're like, oh, my God, what's going now? And you're just going to say another case. And it's like, no, duh, there's going to be another case. If you're going to be testing more people, there are going to be more cases, you know. So I think that you always have to take everything in what context are they saying that? And the reason why I am making a big stink about this is because, you know, many people, when you read on the Internet, I don't even like to call it the internet anymore, <laughs> but if you read a website or, you know, you listen to a podcast and they say, you know, COVID-19 is 10 times more deadly than influenza. And you got to get the numbers because people only hear the word 10 times. But, you know, talking to some of my ID buddies over here, you know, the mortality rate for influenza is around 0.1%, which is good. It's not the greatest. People still die from it because it's 0.1% of what total number. But if you talk about 10 times 0.1, that's a 1% mortality. So it may not be the number, the way it flashes on the screen and makes everyone panic, but it's good to understand these things and be aware that it is good we're discovering more cases to an extent because then we know who to isolate and who needs to actually be wearing masks and not be wearing masks. So remember, take everything for face value. Right. And even that mortality rate number is certainly going to evolve over time because right yeah. now the patients who are getting tested are likely the ones that are the most critically ill yep. and not all comers out in the community, right? So that we're, we're testing the ones who are most ill that are more likely to have mortality associated with their illness. So it will probably skew downward as, as time goes on. I agree. And we should tell our, one of our other themes for today's podcast should be not everyone needs to get tested. And that's hard right. with all the panic going on out there. But yeah, if you have comorbidities, you're immunosuppressed, you're on steroids, you have HIV. I mean, definitely, these are the people that need to be tested. Do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions that are a little bit less um, medical and maybe a little bit more social around this yeah. COVID-19 situation? Of course. Um, one is I, I'd like to hear, like, what are responsible ways for media personalities 
like yourself in medicine and even media personalities outside of medicine to help address this this pandemic? When um, just uh, yesterday, I was actually at E Entertainment in uh, in Hollywood. They're on Universal Studios. I felt so celebrity like being there, you know. And it was on a show called Pop News, and I really liked it for one reason: is that they wanted to be positive. And I think that you know, when you're going on the news, uh, whether it be a website or Instagram, this podcast or on TV is that you have to be honest and try to give accurate information. And I told them, I said, when I go on the air, I don't think the questions I want are going to be statistical questions because I'll put my foot in my mouth because things are changing all the time. And I think that always trying to be honest, I think that my theme for coronavirus is not going to change. I want to be prepared, but I don't want people to panic. And, you know, for those who listen to the whole podcast, you know, it's really easy that when you watch a lot of those news platforms alert they're in bright red and they give you numbers and everyone just panics, you know, and that's why there's a freaking toilet paper shortage out there, you know? (laughs) And so I think that there's always that fine line. So if you ever get a chance to watch this, uh, my episode on uh, Pop News on E, it was very jovial and it was nice to show that I wanted people to realize that, hey, this is a tough time in our country. I know and I think that we need to stand together. And I do really, really, really um, appreciate NBA, NFL, all these athletes doing the right thing because of I feel that they're role models. And I think that all the things we're doing right now to help out with COVID-19 is not because I'm going to tell you, Ted, you're never going to die from COVID-19 and neither am I. But my mom and dad might, you know, and we're doing it for our elderly generations. And that is a lot of responsibility. And I think that young kids look to the LeBron James, you know, to make see if he's doing the right thing. And it's nice that they are doing it because we're, they're going to be setting the bar for being a good influence because all we could do now is to do things that are in our control, which is the social isolation. You know, people still need to go to work. I'm doing this podcast from work. You know, <laughs> that's just the way it is. There's only so much you can do. So I think that being honest, trying to be up to date and trying to be positive. That's what people need to hear. Yeah, that's a great message and, and dovetails nicely is with my next question, which is mm-hmm. how can the media contribute to combating the pandemic And on the flip side, what can hurt the efforts around controlling and and helping to treat the situation? Yeah, I mean, I think the limiting factor, and it's going to be everyone's going to like nod their head and say, I've heard that a thousand times, is the amount of testing kits, you know, and I think that every time I, I, I watch a news update, apparently there should be a billion kits circulating somewhere that I haven't really seen. And people don't understand why that's the problem. It's the problem because that when the first outbreak occurred in the United States, I believe it was in Washington, oh, it happened in a nursing home, but surprise, surprise, it affects the elderly. And at that time, if we had the testing kits, it would have been great that anyone who was in contact, boom, gets screened. We know who to isolate. But we didn't have the kits at the time. And these people were just out and about. And so now that we are, you know, when we talk about, hey, how, um, what is the mortality? What is, are we improving from data or getting worse? All these things are based upon mathematics and having a denominator of how many cases do we have? So when you ask me what's the mortality rate, it's number of cases based upon number of deaths based upon number of cases. And because of the lack of kits in the United States, we never have an accurate denominator 
you know, talking about the disease itself or comparing it to someone else. And when people always ask me, hey, Dr. Raj, like, how do we know when we're doing all this social isolation, uh, it, it's going to be working? Well, that's going to be when we know that the incidence of new cases are decreasing, you know, every day and every day. But the problem is, if you don't have the testing, how do you know you're having a decreased number of cases? So that's why everyone always has that question mark. Everyone says the word usually, everyone says the word hopefully. But I think that the same things, the same standards I hold myself to, I hope other journalists and media experts do the same. And I guess the one tip I would give is that if you're going to be um, giving medical information to anyone, I hope whoever it is has a doctor present. Because I think that you need that doctor to validate, to agree with what's being said. I don't think it's fair that a only a publicist or newscaster should make such you know, strong statements because it does raise a lot of panic. That's a great point, Raj. I agree 100%. Uh, you know, I think one thing that we need to all remember here, too, is there, there are a lot of people um, who are working paycheck to paycheck and, and really don't have the give in, in their financial situation and can really be affected by this COVID-19 situation and, and, and schools being shut down and, and needing to find childcare. And, and as you mentioned, the restaurants are, are effect, potentially affected too, as fewer people go out to eat and, you know, it's going to affect movie theaters and all kinds of yeah. different, different things. You live somewhere over uh, in LA, right on the East side. Is that I do. I do. Yeah. I, you know, I live, I don't live in uh, really close to Pasadena. I yes. live in a place called La Canada and it sounds really fancy, but it's just spelled La Canada, but it doesn't sound sexy when you call it La Canada. <laughs> yeah. So I want to give you a chance, you know, since the restaurants and all kinds of business, small businesses are potentially going to be really affected by this. Yeah. Any favorite restaurants that you want to give a shout out to you know, just to <laughs> kind of help support them through this situation? Oh my God. You know, th th there's a pizza place right by my house. It's called um, Hello Pizza and it's owned by this awesome, it's an awesome, it's an Asian restaurant, but they make like American pizza with like an Asian feel to it. And it's so tasty and it just stinks that uh, they're a mom and pop place. And there, when I call them up, they're like, because they're new, they, because it's small, they know your name. They're like, Raj, is it you? What do we want? So, um, hello, pizza. I wish you all the best. We're still ordering your food. I'll probably order it tonight when I get home. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And let, let them know that you're, you gave them a shout out on the podcast. To I will. Help their I business a little will. bit. Yeah. <laughs> so Raj, as we wind down here, uh, are there any other messages you want to put out there or any other thoughts about COVID-19 or, or even teaching topics that you think students need to hear? You know, I would say one of my favorite little tidbits before I say goodbye is that, you know, people have always asked me, why is it called, you know, coronavirus? And I just want everyone to know for sure that it's not because it's named after drinking a beer under a palm tree, okay? That's <laughs> not why it's coronavirus. It's called coronaviruses because when you look under the microscope, it actually looks like a crown. That's what, you know, corona means. And it has little spikes on it. I'm sure all of us have seen this when we see these newscasts. They put a little, you know, Chiron up there about coronavirus. But I think, you know, everyone, once again, I love being redundant. Repetition is key in teaching is that, you know, be prepared. There's no harm in being prepared, but please don't be panicked. And the last P that I always want to mention is, is be positive. And that's why I'm always smiling. If you ever look at me on my social media, I always think that see the good in people and the good in things. And I know that, you know, as a country, as a, you know, we're going to survive. And before I forget, the last thing I want to say is I want to give a shout out to 
everyone who is working hard to help with coronavirus around the world. And I want to give a sincere that I hope everyone who's infected or had loved ones infected, I wish you the best medical course. Your messaging is just absolutely great, Raj. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day uh, to join us on this podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, you're super welcome. And I'm going to take you up on that, Ted. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about those ventilators. Awesome. All right, Raj. We'll have a great rest of your day, okay? You too, buddy. All right. Take care. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. If you have questions about COVID-19 that you'd like discussed on the podcast, send an email to info at arslanga.media. Be vigilant, but remain calm. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice.